0: Well, most teams are a third of the way through the season, so we've got our personal top 10s, and Notre Dame has a plan to get more than 10 men on the field when they need to. Plus, we're previewing all the big matchups for Week 5 right here on The Three Technique.
1: One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. rush. Got him. Oh, no, they didn't. know oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that?
0: <laughs> well, welcome into the week five preview right here on the three technique. It's a Garrett and Trey show tonight, and it's a Garrett and Trey are battling through some weird illness that's going around (laughs) show tonight. We're both wearing red kind of ceremoniously for what we're battling. I guess we're battling right now, brother. And We're going to get, have a great show tonight. Mitch is not with us. It's going to be a fantastic show regardless, but man, something hit us this weekend. We are still coming out of it, but you know, we're, we're through the halfway through the work week. We are ready for another great weekend of college football and Garrett, other than, you know, the illness that's sweeping both of our households. How are we feeling, man? How are you feeling as we enter the 33% mark of the
1: regular season for most of these teams? It has been an insane first third. That's honestly what it is. The first third is just taking it out of us, man. Too much good (laughs) football, too many upsets. Just too much real quality football getting played. And and I'm excited to keep, you know, kind of going and talking about it because, you know, it's been such a crazy season so far. There's so many news things on the horizon and and things that we're anticipating and looking forward to. And, man, it's just so much fun this year. It's so much fun in this last year of stuff that we're familiar with before everything gets remerged together and a new playoff and whatever else. So just really excited about it. And, and I'm pumped to keep talking about it.
0: Yeah, I've seen a couple shows that I follow have already started. You know, what would the 12 team playoff look like if it was right now this year? I'm like, guys, let's just savor this moment, right? We've got a great week five slate. We've got a four-team playoff this year. Let's just savor this moment. There's plenty of time to nitpick about a 12-team playoff when we get there, but 2023 is giving us plenty to talk about. We don't really need to do that. In my opinion, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. We have our personal top tens that we're each going to break down. We'll give you Mitch's as well, and, of course, all the matchups for week five. Before we do that, let's pay some bills. Make sure that you are following us over on social media at 3TechPod on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, and Instagram, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at 3TechPod, and make sure you're following our friends over at the Transfer Portal CFB. The show is always brought to you by the Transfer Portal CFB, our friends over there, and us as well when we write our weekly recap article, Headlines and review are doing just a fantastic job covering this sport that we all love so much. Great articles, great insight, and amazing interviews as well. We're getting some really big-time, fun interviews over on the website. Players, coaches, um, other figures in the college football world, make sure you're checking out everything that we are putting out through the Transfer Portal CFB. And finally, we you know it already, but it's a great reminder every week, make sure that you are hitting up our friends at Home Field Apparel. We are... Very excited about our affiliation. You can see all the fantastic gear that Garrett has both on his body and in the rack in the background. Repping the Terps this week. uh, It's one of his ledger picks, actually, that he picked to cover against Indiana. And, guys, these are some of the most comfortable stylish shirts that we have ever seen. Literally, I could spend $300 every time I open up that site. And it's schools that I don't even, you know, have never even been a fan of. The designs are just so cool. They are so uh, you know, retro focus. They give you the logos that you really love, not the corporate stale ones that we're so used to in 2023. And we love we we have genuinely loved everything that we have bought from Home Field Apparel. So if you're a first time buyer, you can get 15% off with the code 3 Tech Pod at checkout. If you're a return buyer, check the link in our bio on Twitter and you can get yourself a sweet, sweet discount as well, Garrett. That's the Bills. We've got them paid. Let's jump into a new segment that we're doing. We haven't put out a poll since the preseason. And it's time that we update that. Because like I said off the top, teams are 33%, one-third of the way through their regular season for the most part. There's a few that have had their bye week already. But we've seen a lot of teams four or even five times already if they played on week zero. So it's a really good checkpoint right now. Coming to the end of September. We'll be in October by the end of this weekend. Let's look at our personal top 10s. And before you ask, what's our methodology here? This is just our opinion. We're not basing this. We're trying not to base it off preseason hype. We're trying to base it off results on the field, eye test, and who you've beaten, who you've played. And in addition, we're trying to, you know, some people use a model. Some people use, you know, we want to pass it off, pass off the judgment. We're not doing that here. We are putting ourselves out there. This is our opinion on who the 10 best teams in college football are. So I'm going to start going through Mitch's real quick, Garrett, and you can hop in with yours after that, and I'll close out with mine. But Mitch is going to lead off with Washington at number one, and I think that's fascinating. He said in our doc this week as he was putting this in, he will die on the Washington Hill. I think that's a fair hill to die on. I don't have them number one. You can see I have them in my top four, but Washington has looked very, very impressive this year. He's got Texas at number two, Oregon at number three, Georgia all the way down at number four, Michigan at number five, Florida State at six, Ohio State at seven, Penn State at eight, Notre Dame at nine, and the USC Trojans, everyone's favorite half team, sneaking in to hit <laughs> the top ten at number ten. Garrett, any strong thoughts on Mitch's top ten? What do you get right and wrong?
1: Well, I mean, obviously Washington at the top spot is a bold choice. But I think that he's kind of got it. You said everyone's favorite half team. It might be Washington. I mean, I'm not saying Washington has a bad defense or anything. They've got a good defense. But, man, their offense just makes up for it. And it almost doesn't matter how well their defense plays at all. They could just score infinity points whenever they feel like it. So, love the Washington pick. Obviously, I disagree with it, but love the Washington pick. I think I like Mitch's in terms of speculation and where he thinks they're going to go. Um, I, I sort of have what I've seen. My, my top 10 was very much based on what I've seen and sort of what you've earned. And so that was kind of how I ended up making my rankings, but I love kind of what Mitch is doing just saying like, Hey, I'm looking at the best teams and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go with who I think is best and who I think is better. So love the picks. Um, you know, I feel a little, you know, Michigan disrespect there, slide them down to five, but you know, I, I get it. It is what it is. Maybe not as much a big 10 respect as as I think that he should have right now.
0: <laughs>
1: well, take us through your top 10 real quick. Yeah, so I'm I'm leading off with Florida State at number one. Um, like I just said, uh, I, I'm picking based on what I've seen so far and what you've earned. And they beat a really, really good LSU team week one, who that LSU team is now kind of tearing through the SEC. He beat a really, really good LSU team week one, and, and they did a really good job with that. And then, and then they followed them. it up with a, yeah, a road win with Clemson. And yeah, they had the slip up of Boston College, but as I've said, you get one kind of bad and not really that convinced game before I'm really out on you as a team. And so I'm going Florida State with the two signature wins. Uh, Michigan, Georgia are my two three. They haven't really played like any challenging teams, but they've both taken care of business. I think Michigan's the better team right now. Uh, They play better just across the board. I think they're more consistent. Um, and, and I know what I'm going to get out of Michigan every week as opposed to, you know, Georgia can have kind of the slow starts or, you know, they kind of disappear for a quarter. So I'm doing that kind of tease this on the last show. But Oregon, number four for me, really impressed what they did against Colorado. And just so far, they've just been torching everybody. I think they have that killer mindset. And I love that out of teams. If I see that, you know, you want to win, you want to run it up on a team. You just want to go after that team, go straight for the throat. Love that out of Oregon. So I put them number four. Washington, number five, again, kind of talked about that with Mitch, just scoring infinity points. Ohio State, number six, they earned it. They beat up Notre Dame, um, you know, very last second, got it done, played physical, hard-fought game, um, and they absolutely earned every second of it. So Ohio State's my number six right now. Texas is my number seven. I am impressed with the win against Alabama, but I still want to see what that means. I want to see just how good that Alabama win really is you know, by the end of the season. And so I think that they earned a good win. I think that that's good. But when you combine that with, you know, they they beat up a crappy Baylor team and, you know, they, they played Wyoming a little bit close for a little while there. I still just don't think I've seen enough. They have a chance to change that against Kansas this week, by the way, the big win against Kansas would be a good thing for the Horn's. Uh, And then rounding it out, Penn State, USC, and Notre Dame, really good teams, really solid teams, but I just think not quite as complete as the teams above them.
0: That's great. I, I'm right there with you. I'll, I'll share my rationale on Texas, too, because I can hear the Longhorn fans just seething at us for not having them where the AP poll has them and having them a little bit lower. Um, I'll go through mine real quick. I'm a little biased here because I still have my preseason playoff top four. In my top four, I've just shuffled the order just a little bit. So I've got Georgia, Florida State, Michigan, and Washington my preseason top four were the same. I just flipped to Michigan and Florida State. And look, I've just been more impressed by Florida State so far. I've been more impressed by who they played and who they beaten. They No one can match the two wins that Florida State has, in my opinion. Georgia is a total just... I know we said we are trying to take preseason hype out of it, but from a talent perspective and what they're doing, I know the slow starts have been a concern, but Georgia is getting it done and taking care of business. So... Um, I still got them in the top spot. Oregon has been super impressive. I was blown away. They could have scored 70 points on Colorado last week. So they have earned that number five spot, in my opinion. And Texas at six, I'm with you, Garrett. I really just want to see... I'm in wait-and-see mode on Texas. I want to see what that Alabama win actually means. If Bama loses four games, cool. You beat a four-loss team. That doesn't really matter. That doesn't really move the needle to me. If Alabama's 10-2... and and you're one of the two teams in the country that beat them in their top 10 by the end of the year, great. I'll put you right there in the playoff as long as you're taking care of business in the Big 12. So Ohio State at seven, huge win last week. But again, still, you know, let's see what that Notre Dame win actually means as Notre Dame schedule takes a uh, tick up is continuing this week. Penn State at eight, I really thought about putting them higher. I was blown away by their effort against Iowa last week. I was really, really impressed And then I've got Utah at number nine. My number nine and 10, I think, will surprise a lot of people. Utah's defense is elite, guys. It is straight up elite. They have carried the Utes to three Power 5 wins. I didn't look this up, but I bet you'd struggle to find another team that already has three wins against Power 5 competition so far this year with Utah knocking off Florida, Baylor, and UCLA last week, and two of those currently ranked in the top 25. So very, very impressive resonate for Utah as well. And I've got the Oklahoma Sooners sneaking into my ten spot, mostly because of how impressed I've been with their defense. This is not your father's Lincoln-Riley-led Oklahoma team. They are playing legit defense. They've shut a couple teams out. They held Cincinnati to six points last week. They look really, really good. When Still and Gabriel gets things clicking, that could be a really scary team that no one wants to run into. Of course, they have the big showdown with Texas in Dallas next week. That'll tell us a lot about both of those teams but Garrett as we kind of close the book on the top 10 give me one or two more teams that were just off the cut for you before you made that list
1: yeah so the big team that was just off the cut for me and this might surprise some people but it's the Duke Blue Devils Uh, I think the Duke's been really impressive in what they've done they play really good defense they run the ball extremely well. They've got some really good running backs in that backfield as well to go along with Riley Leonard, who obviously is a great dual-threat quarterback. And I think that, you know, it's it's Duke, and so the name isn't necessarily there, and people are kind of hesitant on it. But, I mean, what can you expect them to do? They played Clemson. They beat them up pretty good. They, you know, have been stomping all over their competition. You can only play your schedule, right? That's what they say for G5 teams, but all of a sudden it's a it's a Power 5 team that's traditionally a basketball school. And we want to say, well, the schedule hasn't been that good so far. Well, okay, they're going to go play Notre Dame this week. We'll talk about that in just a second. And I think that there's big things on the horizon for the Duke Blue Devils. So I'm I'm excited for what they can do. I love it. I, you know, in addition, I'll
0: mention another ACC team that was right on the cusp for me. It's the Miami Hurricanes. I think that you yeah. might be back. I think their win against AM is going to look better and better. AM obviously has some quarterback possible problems, but. They can point to saying, you know, even if AM falls off a little bit, losing their quarterback, they can point to it and say, hey, we beat them with Connor Wegman. We beat them with their guy, their five-star, our offense outplayed. Their offense, our defense outplayed. Their defense, we took down a good team from the big, bad SEC. I think that one's going to keep looking good as the season goes on. And I'm really, really excited to see what they can do against the top tier of the ACC as they get into it. But Garrett... Let's move on from the top 10s. Let's move on from off the field discussions. Let's talk about the games on the field. You mentioned basketball school. We're highlighting two of them in our three tech big three. We're starting off just like where college game day is starting off this week. We're featuring Notre Dame yet again, the number 11 fighting Irish five and a half point favorites on the road at number 17. Duke Durham is going to be rocket. This week, it is the second big home game in the month of September for the Duke Blue Devils, You'll recall they knocked off the mighty Clemson Tigers on week one when no one outside of Mr. Garrett Turney on this podcast was giving them a chance to do that. Toot your own horn, sir. That was a great call. We'll still keep calling back to that. But this is going to be a really interesting matchup with two teams that I think really want to do a lot of same a lot of the same thing. Their offense is going to look really different, Right. Duke is more focused on a quarterback run game behind Riley Leonard. Notre Dame wants to be a more down the field passing attack with Sam Hartman. Two fantastic college quarterbacks. So It's going to be fantastic to watch them battle it out. But this to me is going to be a battle between, uh, you know, the Notre Dame offense and the Duke defense. Which one of those two units is going to prove to be the best one on the field. Notre Dame's 20th in total offense, even taking into account the less than stellar uh, look last week, and Duke is 16th in total defense in Mike Elko's second year. You always see a huge jump in year two under Mike Elko. And here's another battle that I'm really interested to look at because I think this could be what breaks the back for the Duke Blue Devils if they're upset-minded here. Duke is allowing third down conversion rates at 43.1%. That is 95th in the country. Notre Dame is converting 54.4% of their third downs good for 10th in the country. So a big, big matchup to circle there. Who's going to win the money down? That's always a big deal. I think it could be even more of a big deal in this one. If you're looking for some Jimmys and Joes to watch out for. Audrick Estime is a low-key Heisman contender. I think he is the unsung hero on this Notre Dame offense. And one of the reasons they couldn't get going last week against Ohio State is Ohio State did a great job of containing the big one, right? He's busted off a long touchdown run in pretty much every one of their games. Ohio State takes that away. He still averaged five yards a carry, but that was his lowest average yards per carry since week three of 2022 against Stanford. He had beaten that every single game since then. And the Buckeyes prevented that back-breaking run. So can Notre Dame, or excuse me, can Duke recreate that recipe? Can they get rid of the back-breaking run? Can they keep Bodrick Estime out of the end zone? And can they keep pace with Sam Hartman's led offense? I think this is going to be a fantastic um, big-time quarterback matchup. And can Duke get a couple turnovers? That's the big question I want to know. They've done a really good job of uh, taking away the football from the other teams so far. They have eight takeaways and four interceptions. Notre Dame has five interceptions as well. So which one of these quarterbacks is going to stand the test against a tough secondary test? That's the two questions that I'm looking for in this one.
1: Yeah, sure. I think that's the place to start is with the quarterbacks. You know, you're looking at Sam Hartman, Riley Leonard, both of them, you know, pretty good quarterbacks, pretty solid. Um, And I think when you try to analyze this and break it down, they're going to be the breaking point because. Look, both teams run the football well. You just talked about Audrey Estime. I, I want to shout out that, you know, they got some good runners over there on Duke side as well. Jordan Waters, Jaquez Moore, both running very efficiently alongside Riley Leonard, who, you know, as the dual threat quarterback uh, is able to kind of turn things on there. But man, Waters has just been a touchdown machine, seven touchdowns to this point in the season. Pretty solid for, for the Duke offense right there. Um, and so, you know, I think that's going to kind of even out. Playmakers on both sides, though nobody necessarily scares you in the wide receiver room. I know Jalen Calhoun, you know, is kind of the guy right now for Duke. Jordan Moore also having a pretty good season to go along with Great House on the uh, Notre Dame side. Um, So, look, there's going to be good playmakers on both sides. I think that you just have to acknowledge that at the end of the day, it's going to be which quarterback do you trust to make the big play in the big moment. Do you trust the experience from Sam Hartman? Well, I I thought I did at least last week going into the high state game, and then. Maybe he wasn't as dynamic as I thought he was going to be. And then the other question is, well, Riley Leonard, he already showed it against Clemson, but was that fool's gold, right? Was the Clemson win a little bit of fool's gold because maybe Clemson is not who they thought they were. And so it's kind of going to be interesting to see who's real and who's not. I think whichever team wins this deserves a spot in the top 10, well within the top 10. And I think that they should be respected with that, regardless of who ends up winning this game. It's definitely going to be a quality win for whoever does get it again.
0: Spread five and a half in favor of Notre Dame. You can catch this one, 630 PM on ABC a couple nuggets for you, Garrett, before I make my pick. Um, first of all, Notre Dame now does have a plan for 10 men on the field. I don't know if you saw this, but according to Andy Staples, who talked to Marcus Freeman this week, the plan now is there will be a signal. They didn't say what the signal was. They want to keep that top secret, I guess, but, There'll be a signal from the sideline and the near side corner. If they're out of timeouts and they have 10 men on the field again, will now jump across the line and just push the wide receiver down or at least make contact with the wide receiver. So he gets an encroachment with contact penalty, five
1: yards, half the distance to the goal, whatever it ends up being. That's certainly a strategy. I that's guess If you can't, can't figure think, out you know? how to get 11 guys on the field, commit penalties. Like that's yeah. Well, you know, and, They didn't. They said they didn't mind the penalty,
0: right? Or they didn't want to get the penalty. He's kind of backtracked on that, said that the penalty would be okay. It's one of those situations where when you're a first-time head coach, and this is Marcus Freeman's second year, but when you just haven't run into certain situations, right? You don't know what you don't know until you know that you don't know it, right? And he just didn't know how to handle that situation. So now he has a plan for it, learning from our mistakes. I'm encouraged by that. All that to say, other nugget I wanted to throw out there, Duke as a dog under Mike Elko. They've had they've been an underdog seven times against the spread. They are six and one against the spread, and they have five outright wins. So I'm taking Duke plus five and a half. The only loss that Duke has against the spread as an underdog was the Kansas game last year. They missed the cover by one point. It was 35-27 in a seven-point
1: spread. Yeah, this Duke team competes. I'm picking them plus the five and a half as well. I think the big key here, and I've got them on the screen right there, Dwayne Carter, I think, is going to be your key piece to look at here. The Easy way he fills stuff up in the trenches, he's he's going to be a monster in this game. I think if he can stifle th- this run game for Duke if, if, or for uh, for Notre Dame, if he can kind of stifle that running game, force him into longer situations where you know Sam Hartman has to make those plays, I think it's going to be a bad situation for Notre Dame long term. And so I'm going to go ahead and pick Duke plus the five and a half. I really, really, really want to pick him outright. I really want to do it. I don't think I have it in me to do it. I still think Notre Dame wins this game. Maybe just a last-second field goal to win by two or something like that. But I think Duke will cover this, and, and I think it'll be an awesome scene. But, man, I, like like in terms of confidence picks in this one, I, I've got low confidence that Notre Dame is going to actually win this one. I'm really, really close to flipping this to Duke, and, and I really want to. I just don't think I can. Well, I'm right there with
0: you, too. It You know, I want to pick them out right. Notre Dame's going to have to respond after a gut-wrenching loss, and that's always tough to yep. do. You can't let Ohio State beat you twice. I think they take care of business from the final score standpoint, but Duke covers the five-and-a-half-point spread. Garrett, let's talk about another blue blood, the Kansas Jayhawks, because the yeah. Kansas Jayhawks are going down to Austin, Texas. The last time they went to Austin, it did not go very well for the home team in that game. So the Kansas Jayhawks, 17 point underdogs, Texas Longhorns 17 point favorites, two 30 PM on ABC down in Austin. This is a very interesting game to me because I think the, all the attention is going to be on the offensive side of the ball. And rightfully so these are two absolutely electric offenses, great play callers and uh, Andy Kotal, Kotal and Steve Sarkisian, of course, for Texas I'm really interested to see how the defenses perform because Kansas' defensive situation, if you've been watching their games, it's much improved from last year. It was an absolute disaster last year. and No one really expected it to be much better this year. They are quietly 26 nationally, giving up under 300 yards per game. That's heavily inflated by the competition. I totally grant you that. But the eye test says that they're better than last year. They're tackling better. They've intercepted six passes, 26 in the country, like I said, in yards per game allowed. And they have a fantastic corner in Kobe Bryant, who I think is going to be a big problem for Quinn Ewers and the Longhorn wide receivers. He forced two turnovers last week against BYU, returned one of the uh, the fumble that he forced for a touchdown. Going to be really interesting to see if he can make life miserable, force a couple turnovers, and keep Kansas in this game. Now, the other matchup I'm looking at, one of my favorite offensive coordinators in the entire country is Andy uh, Kotelniki. Because the way that he ma- matches, ma- excuse me, the way that he mixes up his scheme, the way that he incorporates elements of so many different op- uh, offenses. He's got option elements, he's got spread elements, he's got power run game elements, right? He puts multiple quarterbacks on the field to confuse the defense. It's gonna be fascinating to watch the chess match between him and Texas defensive coordinator, Pete Witkowski. Um, obviously, Texas has the huge talent advantage. Obviously, the star power is on the side of the Longhorns obviously they're probably going to win this game, right? But I think there's just enough questions on Texas' side. They haven't scored 40 points yet in a game. I think that's a big question mark for them. Their offense, I don't think, has put together a complete game. They were close against Alabama, but there were stretches of that. It's that first half, especially, where Alabama was really having a number on that Texas offense, and turnovers kind of helped the offense for Texas in that one. I don't think Texas has put together a complete offensive game just yet. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that no one has really stepped up and claimed that running back role, right? Jonathan Brooks has looked really, really good the last couple of games, high yard per carry uh, number over a hundred yards the last couple of games. But as a whole, that unit has been slacking just a little bit, right? They have not average, uh, they've averaged more than four yards per carry only once so far this year. That was against Wyoming. And they've been held under two yards of carry twice against Rice and Baylor. So Jonathan Brooks, to me, needs to have a big game for two reasons. One, they need to keep the ball out of the offense's hands for Kansas. That's the recipe for a cover for Texas. Give Kansas as few possessions as possible. Control the ball game with the ground game. And let Quinn make some plays through the air. Keep it away from Kobe Bryant on the other side of the ball. I don't know that I've seen that yet from Texas. So for that reason, and because Kansas' defense looks improved, Their offense we know is going to be electric. And weird things happen when these two teams
1: get together. I'm going to take Kansas plus the 17 points. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I'm taking Kansas plus the 17 as well. Uh, For me, this has a lot more to do with what Kansas is than what Texas is. I, I think Texas is a really good team. We both put them in our top 10. I think that they're going to end up pretty close to competing for the playoff, if not right in there, because who knows what the Big 12 is going to be and if anybody's going to compete with them but I think this is a different Kansas team. I don't think this is the same Kansas team that walked in there a couple years ago and surprised people. I think this is a legitimately good team for Kansas. I want to kind of break down a couple of the stats. Jalen Daniels is every bit as good a quarterback as Quinn Ewers, and I'm going to stand on that as long as I need to. He's got a 75% completion on the year, 705 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. That's in only three games. He's had some limited uh, ability. He missed the first game, I believe. Um, So that was part of it. Uh, Looking at the running backs, I wanted to break this down, too. Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw Jr. have combined for 90 carries, seven yards a carry, and eight touchdowns. They've got a real run game. And and when you can run the football on the road, that really, really helps. And and Trey already kind of broke it down. This defense is playing a lot better, not necessarily overall with the numbers, but situationally. right? It's important to play situational defense, especially – when you're going to have an offensive match like this, right, when you have two great offenses going together, who can get that one interception more, who can make that one play on fourth down, who can get in the backfield, you know, get the sack, get the tackle for loss, and set the other offense just enough behind the chains that they force a punt in a bad situation, right, if you can do those little things, it doesn't matter if you give up crazy yards on the other drives, because you're getting the ball that one extra time more than they are, you're giving your offense a chance to go score one more time, and so, I think Texas will win this game, but I think they'll win it by like ten. I think they'll win this game by ten. You know, I think it'll be somewhat comfortable where Texas will be kind of out in front, and they're never going to quite let Kansas get back into this game. But I think Kansas is going to stick around and kind of make it uncomfortable for them. You know, while while they're kind of coming back, this could be one where at like halftime it's you know a three or a six point game, and then Texas kind of pushes them away. So. Uh, I'm going to take Kansas plus the 17 with the Longhorns to win, but it's going to be a fun game, and you know I'm going to be locked in. Absolutely. It's going to be, I think, the highlight of the
0: afternoon slate for sure. Maybe a little bit of look-ahead syndrome for Texas as well as they look ahead to the Red River rivalry game next weekend down in Dallas. And, you know, I think if Kansas didn't have that little number next to the name, I'd be more confident in my pick for them to cover. I still think they cover. They would be... It would be easier to sneak up on Texas, I guess, if they didn't have that little number 24 next to their name.
1: Uh, I will tell you, I guarantee you that Texas is going to be doing everything they possibly can to cover Jared Casey. There's no way they're going to let Jared Casey beat him again. He's got three (laughs) catches on the year. He's got a touchdown, but there's no way they're going to let him score again. They're going to bracket him if they need to. They're going to force him out the play. There's no way they're going to let this guy beat him again. Casey legacy game in coming. All right,
0: <laughs> let's go over to the sec, the marquee matchup uh, for, I think, I think the marquee matchup this week, that might be debatable, but number 13, LSU two and a half point favorites in Oxford, taking on number 20 Ole miss Garrett. Have you heard anything from Lane Kiffin this week? Because I, he seems like he's been pretty quiet.
1: Yeah, he's been a little quiet. I was expecting a lot of noise, you know, after how much he was talking last week against Bama, but Kind of quiet. What ended up happening over the weekend? Well, you know, I think he got humbled a little bit, and that's saying something
0: that that would be impressive if it actually hit home. But listen, I only bring that up because that's what this game is about for me. We haven't heard from Lane Kiffin. That might be a good sign that he is uh, staying off of Twitter and not trying to troll his opponent and get a victory that way. Maybe he's focusing a little bit more on the field because this is all about if he can win a coaching battle at home for me. LSU is going to have better talent. LSU is a more talented team. There are flaws that Ole Miss can definitely exploit. And I'll talk about those here in just a second. But this is all about if Lane Kiffin can win a coaching battle and have his team ready to go. Because he does not have a signature win at Ole Miss. Think about all the wins that he's gotten at Ole Miss. He does not have a signature win at Ole Miss. Other than maybe a couple egg bowls. I guess you could give him those. But... Here's another prime opportunity LSU coming into your house. There are matchups to exploit and you've got to figure out the way to cover up some of your discrepancies here, because another big thing that I'm looking at is this offensive line. Bama lived in the backfield last week, five sacks, 10 tackles for loss. Ole Miss's offensive line just had no answer for that front seven of Alabama. And guess what? They're going to go up against one that's just as talented this week. So, how does uh, how does how do the coaching staff at LSU how do they decide to use Harold Perkins? That's going to be a huge huge key to this game for me. It's looking like he's been more involved. He forced a fumble and had a sack last two fumbles, excuse me, forced two fumbles and had a sack last week. Had a sack against Ole Miss, so he's getting to you know rush the passer just a little bit more. That was the big question coming out of the Florida State game, but. When is he, if ever, going to be unleashed, right? We just keep waiting for him to get to play the role like he played last year. Brian Kelly seems married to the idea that he needs to be a true linebacker that drops into coverage and stops the run and does all that stuff. That's fine and dandy. He's a talented guy. He can do that, but I think you're missing out on his opportunity. Do we let him be unleashed this week? And the other big question, and I think this is going to come down to Kiffin's game plan, maybe even more than his quarterback, is how does Jackson Dart, attack this LSU secondary because this is an LSU secondary that will give up some yards if you put up any sort of fight against them, right? Will Rogers did not. The poor guys at, I I think it was Grambling State that they played in week two, just could not put up a fight against this LSU secondary. Jordan Travis threw for 359 yards and four touchdowns. KJ Jefferson threw for 289 yards and three touchdowns, right? So, if you can put a competent game plan together, if you can get the ball in the hands of your receivers, you're going to get some yards to the air on this LSU secondary. Now, can Lane Kiffin put that game plan together? I think that's a big, big question. And can Jackson Dart execute that game plan? Is he the player we saw the first couple games of this year? Or is he the player we saw last year and in the Alabama game last week? That's going to be a big question that Olmis needs to answer. Garrett, with all those questions and with my just hatred of Lane Kiffin, I'm going to go with LSU minus two and a half here. I think they get it done in Oxford.
1: Yeah, I think you're probably right about this. Um, I'm going to also agree with you. I know we're just kind of going chalk on this one, but, you know, I'm going LSU minus two and a half as well. Um, I I think that this is just a much better team. Um, For me, this doesn't really have very much to do about Ole Miss. Again, it's just kind of LSU being a a great team. Um, I wanted to highlight two players in specific. Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. are just dynamic wide receivers for the LSU Tigers. Um, they've both averaged uh, about 16 yards per catch, um, which is disgusting. Uh, they both have five touchdowns. Brian Thomas Jr. kind of had his breakout game, I think, last week. Just definitely burst onto the scene with that. Not that he wasn't playing well before then, but had a great game last week against Arkansas. I think five catches, 133 yards, two touchdowns. So great game for him. Um, and I I think that when you look at Ole Miss, they weren't able to really make Bama pay for the fact that they weren't that good. And I got kind of swept up into the Ole Miss hype. I just kind of got swept up into, Oh, look, Ole Miss is doing good. They've got a great offense. And I went back and looked at it. They're playing Tulane without Michael Pratt to a pretty close game in the fourth quarter. They're playing Georgia tech to a seven point game in the fourth quarter. They, they, they hadn't really put anybody away. I just kind of looked at some of the finals and was like, oh, look, Ole Miss is doing great. And I didn't really look at how they got there. And and so, look, that's on me. I got swept up in the hype. It's not going to happen again. Box score syndrome. Yeah. It hits us all, man. I, no blame, <laughs> no shame. All, yeah. It hits us all. And so, yeah, I just kind of got swept up in what Ole Miss is doing. I'm going to acknowledge it. And, uh, yeah, I think that uh, it, it's going to be a, a little bit of a route for LSU. I don't think it's going to be particularly close. Uh, So I'm taking LSU minus the two and a half as well. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch, but that's going to be if you like offense on one side and Lane Kiffin being sad on the other. You know, the box score thing didn't make the
0: cut for me. It almost made the cut in what I was going to highlight in this game, but you're absolutely right. Because in Ole Miss's, you know, signature, if you want to call it that wins over, I don't call Mercer a signature win. Sorry, Ole Miss fans. But uh, Tulane and Georgia Tech, you're right. Both of those games, the final score looks way more impressive than that game actually was. They were dogfights into the fourth quarter and the ball just bounced a certain way to take care of business for uh, Ole Miss and make that score look a little bit better. I think you're right. I think that that's going to be something to monitor throughout the year. How does that balance itself out? Does the ball bounce a different way? And all of a sudden, uh, uh, Ole Miss is you know not getting his fortune. I think that's a very fair question to ask. Um, as we move on through the rest of the season. Garrett, let's go to our get to a screen games. We've done our top three. The only other matchup between ranked teams this week is a very interesting one on Friday night. 8 p.m., Friday night, FS1. Number 10, Utah travels to number 19, Oregon State. Oregon State, of course, licking their wounds a little bit after a three-point loss to Washington State. Another game kind of in the reverse that looks a lot closer than it actually was. And for Utah, we are still on Cam Rising Watch. This is week five, Rising Watch, monitors on, get the theme music going, get the graphics going. And look, the interesting thing here is Cam Rising and Kyle Whittingham, if it was up to them, he would be playing this week. But it's the surgeon uh, from L.A., I believe, that is that they're waiting on for final approval. Obviously, you want to go with the doctor's opinion. Obviously, you want to wait for the medical advice and not just put it in the hands of the player and the coach. But... Just an interesting sidebar here. So anyone that's telling you they know one way or the other, probably before about 6 p.m. Friday night local time, I don't think you can trust them because this is between the surgeon and Cam Rising and whether or not he feels like he's cleared to play. Regardless, we know that Utah defense is going to show up, right? We know that the Utah defense has been elite. The D-line has been nasty. And we also know... That throughout his career, DJU versus a pass rush has been a pretty one-sided battle throughout his career. So it's not necessarily been DJU's strong suit to take on a ferocious pass rush. So the Beavers just have to plain and simply block better than they did against Washington State. Washington State was living in the backfield. DJU had very little time to make decisions. For some reason, I can't really explain this pick. It feels like the universe, the college football universe just needs to balance out a little bit. It feels like Utah's been kind of getting away. Now, this pick, I will throw it out the window if Cam Rising is playing. But if Cam Rising is not playing, I feel like Utah's due for a stub-the-toe moment. I just feel like I can't really explain it. I don't really have the stats or the analysis to back that up. But I feel like if Cam Rising's not playing, Utah's just kind of due for a stub-the-toe moment a day where the defense maybe just slips up a little bit or Johnson has a couple bad turnovers that the other team finally capitalizes on going to take Oregon state minus the three and a half with the asterisk that I can throw it out. If cam rising actually shows up in place, if I'm allowed, if I'm allowed to do that, sir,
1: thinking about it, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. I'll allow it. That's fine. The it, 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 would it the need to take my money either way. Right, Exactly. It's a massive asterisk so far. Utah has the 6th ranked defense in opponents points per games. This is elite defense like you were talking about. They just do a really good job. And they haven't played nobody. They played a Florida team that just beat up some people and played nice and physical. You know, they they beat a Baylor team that for all intents and purposes is dead in the water, but you know, that's still a power five program and they beat a UCLA team where Dante Moore was starting to kind of come out of his zone and and figure out what he wants to be as a quarterback and then all of a sudden he, he has one touchdown drive late because they kind of fell asleep at the wheel. And so, you know, I, I think this is a really elite defense, but the offense hundredth out of 133 in scoring offense. That's not good. It's not going to get it done. Utah has to commit to running the football. They have to run the football. They have to do a better job at, at being physical and not trying to get too cute. They don't have an elite passer right now. If it's not Cam Rising, Nate Johnson's your best chance. He's plenty athletic you got to find ways to get him and Quinton Jackson and a lot of these other dudes in space to give them the best opportunity to win. I think they'll do it. I think they're going to be just fine. I think they'll play some ball control, low-scoring game. I'm going to give me the Utes plus three and a half. I'm going to take them to win outright. I think you're right about this whole thing balancing out for the Utes, but I don't think it happens this week. I think this will happen against a better team later in the schedule. I think that's fair. I, I don't know if it's this week. I do think it'll even out a little bit. We all know
0: my Utah hatred, whatever we want to call it. Where <laughs> I just will refuse to pick
1: them to go through a season undefeated. But um, I don't know if it's this week. It feels like in, Oregon State. I was going to say in classic, you know, Kyle Whittingham fashion, this is the kind of game that he would lose traditionally to be it's that a like Friday night. What is it's he, in Corvallis. Yeah, yeah it, it's got some of the markers.
0: It's got some red flags for me. So I'm going to take, I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to take Oregon State. Garrett takes Utah plus three and a half. Another very interesting line, Garrett. We go to Le- Lexington, Kentucky. Number 22 Florida takes on the Wildcats of Kentucky, another blue blood that we're focusing on this week. Which of these teams is actually real? Because they have both shown some warts. Kentucky has fought through those warts to a four and record, maybe the least impressive four and team in the country. And Florida, short of their just, you know, poop the bed moment in Salt Lake City on Thursday night of opening week, has surprisingly bounced back really well. That Tennessee win was really impressive. They looked, you know, not amazing on offense last week, following that up against Charlotte, but you can forgive them for not really being sharp against an overmatched opponent. Which of these teams is actually real? Because the Devin Leary experience has been a really wild one so far for Kentucky. I thought he was turning a corner. Then the Vandy game happened last week. They won that game like very handily, but he just did not look good against a not good Vandy defense. And I think the recipe for Florida really matches up with, you know, how to beat Kentucky, take the ball, out of the offense's hands, take the air out of the ball. Is it the same recipe as a Tennessee game for you for Florida? Just run the ball a
1: ton. Don't make Mertz do too much and just play sound defense. I think that's about perfect. I think you look at Mertz, he's been surprisingly efficient, but I think it's because they're just putting him in a position to win. He's completed 78% of his passes. He's got almost a thousand yards on the year. Four touchdowns, one pick. Look, that's gonna get it done. You know, for me, if I'm if I'm a team with a guy like Trevor Etienne or Montreal Johnson to hand the ball off to, that's fine. I don't care if I'm an elite electric offense that can throw it around the yard. Obviously, that's where they wanna be. That's where they wanna get to as a team. They want to be a lot more electric. But if I can just hand the ball off and run the football pretty effectively, I'm I'm good with that. So you know, I, I think that's why I'm going to pick Florida in this one. When you look at what Kentucky does, obviously you talk about the Devin Lear experience, 59% completions for him, nine touchdowns, five picks. So he's definitely slinging it. Uh, he's just kind of slinging it everywhere. And it's not <laughs> that they can't run the football, but I just don't trust them to make the big plays. So give me Florida uh, and give me the two and a half. Uh, I'm going to take that. I think I'm going to take Florida to win this one. I think that this is a Gator Bowl, a Gator Bowl situation where he's going to, You know, Gators are going to kind of do what they want to do. So chomp, chomp Gators, uh, I'm going to take them to win this one and make a little bit of a statement. I was surprised Kentucky was favored in this one, to be honest. I was,
0: Usually, Usually I lean into that, right? Usually we say, what does Vegas know? Maybe lean into what Vegas is telling you. Read the tea leaves here. But I'm right there with you. I'm going to take Florida plus the two and a half. Little series note. Remember, Kentucky lost this game 31 straight times from 1987 to 2017. But Kentucky has won three of five and two in a row since that streak was broken in the 2018 season. So history doesn't really mean a lot, but just fun to note for teams that play each other pretty often. Garrett, this 11 a.m. window is popping. Let's go to another game. We've got we got to talk about Dion, right? we got to pay our prime tax. we got to talk about the Colorado Buffaloes. They are 21 and a half point underdogs. As number eight USC and the reigning Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams come into Boulder, this is your 11 a.m. Big Noon kickoff on Fox, 10 a.m. local time for the second time this year. And listen, uh, yes, Garrett is correcting my pick. I did have uh, the wrong plus or minus sign here. We'll get to that in just a second. And yes, Garrett, you're right. Listen, Dion said after the Oregon loss, "This is the worst we will be." Get your licks in while we while you can. And I think he's right. I think that they are going to be much improved next year. They are going to be a force in the new Big 12 next year, starting in 2024. I fully believe that. They're only going to recruit better talent. They're only going to keep hitting the portal, keep upgrading that roster. And I do think Dion is a very, very good coach. I don't think they're there yet. And I think that Caleb Williams and the USC offense are basically going to be able to put up as many points as they want. Any stop that Colorado gets should be seen as a big victory. I know that you don't want to see that. You don't want to say that if you're a Colorado fan. I'm going to be celebrating if I'm a Colorado fan just on any stop that I get. Now, I think Colorado has a better chance to keep this one closer because I think they can put up a ton of points. I think the offense can move the ball. We saw that train wreck in Eugene coming from a mile away on this show. We highlighted that... It was going to be a big mismatch. Now, Garrett, I think you thought they would put up more points than they actually ultimately did. But I think you would agree that it was a bigger mismatch in the trenches than this game against USC is. And they get it at home. So we like to play the Syracuse game. I'd like to introduce a new game. Is the USC defense good? Because we keep going back and forth. We were shaming them in Week 0, praising them in Week 1. It's amounted to 364 and a half yards per game given up 20 points per game that's pretty good you can deal with that especially with your offense giving up 228 passing yards 135.6 rushing yards last week against Arizona State though you're giving up 21 points to a team playing their backup quarterback 263 yards to the air against said backup quarterback and you're really asking a lot of questions um leaving that game against Arizona State so All that being said, USC might score 60. I think Colorado can keep pace. though. I think they're going to put up a lot of points. I would take up the over in this game. If USC scores 60, they probably covered this one, but I take the over in this one. I'm going to take Colorado plus the 21 and a half points.
1: Yeah. I think the Oregon game really exposed something there. Uh, I think the problem is that Colorado not being able to run the football effectively is going to be an issue for them long-term. Shadur Sanders is a great quarterback. Uh, I'll do st- like stop my foot for that all the time. I don't care. He's a great quarterback and he can do a lot. But when you get to just pin your ears back and rush the passer, that's not a good recipe for success if you're the Colorado offense. So you have to find a way to establish a running game. And so far, they haven't proven that they can do that at all. Um, that's going to have to be a, a part of their success is being able to hand the ball off on a draw, hand the ball off on a power run, like a- anything you can do. Go any direction you want to with it, but you got to find a way to get rushing yards. I don't care if it's quarterback runs. I don't care if you're giving it to wide receivers on a sweep. you got to find a way to run the ball and get some yards on the ground because if you can't do that, then a defense won't respect you, and they're just going to sit there and rush the passer. And USC has the athletes to do that just fine. They don't necessarily play that good as a unit, uh, and it seems like they're kind of up and down, but they have the guys to come after you. And Colorado doesn't have those guys on the offensive line. So I'm, mm, I don't know. I'm picking USC minus the 21 and a half here. I'm a little bit concerned long-term for Colorado's run game. And I think that this is the kind of situation where if Colorado can't establish anything in the trenches, then yeah, it's just going to be a boat race for USC and they're going to score as many points as they want to definitely have a better offense than Oregon. Maybe not by that much, but they definitely have a better offense than them. And, and yeah, it's going to be just whatever USC wants to do in, in the past game.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I think that's the safer bet. I think fewer things have to go right for USC to cover than have to go right for Colorado to cover. I, I don't know. It's another one that I just, you know, going with my feeling, going with my gut here. I'll take, well, I'll take all the points.
1: I was going to say another thing, too, is if you look at the way that Dan Lanning handled the game last week, it was pretty clear he wanted to send a message. He was, you know, you know, younger head coach. He's tuned into what people are saying. He wants to make sure that people just the way that they talked about stuff, all the little film moments, all the way they go about, you know, collecting stuff. By the way, that was a great clip that they posted. I got no. We're not going for clicks, but we're
0: going to post a cinematic masterpiece. on Good for them, by the way. That Uh, was. Yeah, can't blame them. Can't blame them. And it was also fascinating. One thing that's just a quick sidebar. Yeah, we're not talking about Oregon, but we're going to talk about Oregon real quick. Isn't it fascinating how the school that was accused of being all flash, no substance is now calling out another school for being all (laughs) flash, no substance. Like for all of our childhood watching college football, Oregon was just that team out West with the stupid uniforms, right? No one cared. No one thought they could win anything of substance. I know they got to a couple national title games, but no one was taking them seriously. They thought they were all flash, no substance. And now, oh, how the turns of turntables have turned,
1: right? Well, and it's partially true because they're playing really good football, but absolutely, the the thing about it is Dan Lanning went after Colorado with that mindset. And my question here is, do I believe that Lincoln Riley is going to try to do the same thing or no? Like, do I think Lincoln Riley is going to handle himself in a more mature way? Or do I think that he also wants to say, hey, kids on the West Coast, look at this. You know, this is going to get all the primetime ratings. I want you to watch us just eliminate these people, and I want to watch. I want y'all to see this and go, "Oh, I want to play for them." I think that it's probably going to be more that case. I think that Lincoln Riley is going to go crazy in this one. So, look, I I just don't think it's going to be. We knew this was going to be the case. We said they had a good chance to start three and zero, or maybe two and one, for Colorado, and then week four and five was going to hit, and it was going to be a rough awakening for them to to show who they are, and so. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of a tough time for them. And, and you know, let's get back on track. It doesn't mean Colorado's in a bad spot, but they're not going to beat USC. It's going to be USC minus a whole bunch. Well,
0: unfortunately for Lincoln, if he's trying to show a bunch of people on the West Coast, he's going to have to hope that they wake up pretty early because it's going to be a 9 a.m. kick for USC fans in their local time zone. Let's go back to the SEC, Garrett. Texas A&M, six and a half point favorites against the Arkansas Razorbacks at Jerry World. This game is always insane. And for you and I, as fans of Texas A&M, this is one of those games that you pack the antacids, you pack the heartburn medication, and you just hope and pray that it turns out okay for your team. Because it's a true throw the records out situation, right? It is a true situation where it doesn't matter how bad either team is, it's going to be a close game. A&M's won 10 out of 11 since joining the SEC. Out of all the games in Jerry World, in Arlington, All but one have been decided by 10 points or less. So it is always going to be a close one when these two get together in Arlington. Connor Wegman, we found out today, we thought he was only going to be out two to four weeks with a high ankle sprain. He is actually going to be out for the season. They found an extra broken bone, fun surprise, uh, when he went to get the MRI. He's out for the season. Luckily, they've got an experienced backup in Max Johnson that started games not only for them, but also for LSU in the past. On the injury side for Arkansas, they're hoping to get running back Rocket Sanders back. It looks like he might be back. They're trending in the positive direction. They thought he was going to play last week against LSU. It didn't happen, but it's looking good for this week. The matchup for me that if I am an AM fan, I'm hoping I can exploit is AM's receivers versus Arkansas secondary. I think if you're a receiver for AM, you are licking your chops watching the film against BYU and LSU the last couple of weeks. As an Arkansas if I'm an Arkansas fan, the matchup I'm most looking forward to exploiting is the pass rush of Arkansas against A&M's offensive line. So to me, I think that's going to decide the game. Whose pass rush is going to get home more? Who's going to make the other quarterback more uncomfortable? Max Johnson, of course, the second string guy for AM. ms going to want to keep him comfortable. A&M's going to want to get him in a rhythm early. He won this game as the starter last year. 23 to 21 against KJ Jefferson and the Razorbacks. It took an oink doink, but he got it done. And it took me standing in the kitchen for the majority of the last three quarters <laughs> of the game, but it got it done, right? So if you're looking for something for confidence as an AM fan, that's the confidence you can find. To me, this year, I'm looking at the pass rushes. If AM's pass rush looks more like it did against Auburn than it did against Miami, I think that they're going to be winning this game pretty comfortably. If it looks more like Miami, this is going to be a barn burner and they're going to be lucky to get out alive. I'm going to take AM minus the six and a half. I'm going to buck history a little bit, say that it's a little bit more expanded than usual. I'll take AM minus the six
1: and a half. Well, you know, Trey, you make a pretty decent point about that pass rush. Only thing that concerns me as an AM fan is Arkansas currently has the best pass rush rate in terms of getting home in the whole country. Yep. Uh, I think they're getting home at like an almost 15% clip. So, it's going to be dangerous. I mean, am has got to find a way to protect Max Johnson because after him, it's uh, I don't know, right? It's, it's I think it's the know, Fresno
0: State transfer whose name is escaping my mind right now, but
1: yeah, well, they do have one more veteran in there. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, so that, that's but you need Max Johnson healthy if you're going to do anything uh, this year as an AM fan, and if you're Jimbo Fisher and you're trying to save your job, you need Max Johnson to stay upright, yep. and so you you need to find a way to get the ball out of his hands quickly. I think that is the sole focus right now. And against an Arkansas secondary that is lacking to say the least, um, I I think that that's going to be the game plan. A lot of pass game is going to go to the running backs in this one. I think you're going to see a lot of underneath stuff, throwing it behind the blitz. And if it were any other quarterback, I think I'd be inclined to say that Arkansas is going to get to him. But Max Johnson's experienced. He knows what he's doing. He's a veteran presence there. And I think he's going to be cool and collected here. I think he's going to be able to do that Now, if in the first couple drives, he's taking a bunch of sacks or throwing the ball away and it's ugly, I'll probably switch that pick immediately and say that, nope, it's going to be Arkansas. Here we go. But I think the way that a and going to defend KJ Jefferson is going to keep him off the field enough. They'll have to convert some long drives. I don't think they're going to do the the get after him type of thing, but I think they're going to let Arkansas come to them and just play a bend, but don't break type of defense. And I think it's going to work enough. I'm picking A&M minus a six and a half. This is a cautious and a minus six and a half, but I am still picking them to cover that spread. Let's stay in the SEC for
0: one more get to a screen game. It's the Deep South's oldest rivalry, Georgia. Number one in the country, 14 and a half point favorites going into Jordan Air Stadium, taking on the Auburn Tigers. Series dates back to 1892 and Georgia has won six in a row dating back to the 2017 SEC championship game. Garrett, I think this one could get ugly. And there's a couple reasons why. Number one, if you're looking at just on the field this year, Auburn doesn't have a passing game. And I don't think they can run the football with a ton of success against this Georgia front seven. Peyton Thorne was 6-12 of last week for 44 yards. Three quarterbacks played. And, you know, it was uh, not pretty. with Any of the three against Texas A&M last week. That's another score that looked a lot closer than it actually was. Hugh Freeze said Peyton Thorne's probably the starter. Doesn't really inspire a ton of confidence. And the other reason I don't think this is going to be very close, obviously Auburn has a new coach. Hugh Freeze is a whole new start of the whole new ballgame, right? But Auburn has scored more than 14 against Georgia just twice since Cam Newton was running the show in 2010. Two times. Auburn has managed more than 14 points. That ain't good, okay? Slow starts. I know Georgia started slow in a lot of games, but it looked like they kind of got that worked out last week. 28 first-half points against uh, UAB, the fighting Trent Dilfers. I'm all in on Georgia, minus 14 and a half. I know it's a rivalry game. I know you throw the records out, whatever you want. That hasn't mattered much in this rivalry as of late. I'm taking
1: Georgia minus a lot
0: more than 14 and a half.
1: Yeah, I think that fourteen and a half is just a uh, out of respect for the fact that it's a power five team. <laughs> it's not it's not great. Auburn is booty butt this year. They're so bad. They cannot throw the football. They just can't throw the football. They they don't have a quarterback who can throw accurately. When you look at some of the misses from last week, you'll have a guy two feet on the ground and he's looking down the seam at the tight end, he's going wide open, throws ten yards over his head. Yeah. I, I just I don't understand how you could miss that bad. Um, I didn't miss that bad whenever I would play. Um, so I'd... You threw it over not... the mountains, brother. <laughs> but, like, look, at the end of the day, it's, it's not, that's it, just not good for Auburn. And Georgia's still Georgia, right? We can nitpick whether they're one or two or three. We're not nitpicking if they're going to keep it close with a bad Auburn team. I, I don't think there's any way that you can find a way to say, well, you know, actually, if Auburn, there's no real way for Auburn to keep this one close. They didn't cover the 14 and a half against AM. They're not going to cover it against Georgia either. So, yeah, give me Georgia minus the 14 and a half. I'd tease this one all the way up if I was going to take it as a leisure pick. Yeah, I, I, I'm i right there with you. Garrett, let's pick up the pace as we go
0: through this last slate of games. Our quick hitters. We travel back in time Friday night. Louisville, the upstart Cardinals undefeated. Three and a half point favorites at NC State. Interesting test for Jeff Brom and company their fifth in total offense matching up against a top 40 always tough defense in NC State Jack Plummer's quietly been pretty good five touchdowns last week against Boston College but this is the first true road game for Louisville and they've had some close calls at neutral sites they played close with Georgia Tech they for some reason only beat Indiana by seven points up in Indianapolis. I, this is one of my ledger picks this week. I parted as part of a parlay. I got it at two and a half right now. It's at three and a half. I'm still going to take Louisville minus the three and a half. NC state just hasn't done it for me on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know how they keep up.
1: Look, I don't like NC state that much either, but you don't call them a scoring lover because you like them. Um, I'm picking NC state on principle. Uh, I don't like Louisville at this point. So apologies to all my uh, Louisville haters out there. I just, you know, your team did me dirty last year, so I'm not going to go with them anymore. Um, See, I'm picking NC State plus three and a half. I think they play good enough defense to finally get Louisville. In all reality, I think that they are good enough to beat them. So I'm going to take them to beat them. All right. Staying in the ACC. Clemson, seven and a half point
0: favorites, 11 a.m. Saturday on ABC, traveling to whatever we're calling that dome up there now, the something wireless dome, I think. Taking on the Orange of Syracuse. Scared? it's our favorite question. They're 4-0. Is Syracuse good? No. Okay. All right. Just checking. (laughs) But ESPN FPI is actually giving the Cuse a 55.1% chance to win. Shout out Sammy Hagar. And But I, I don't know, man. I don't know how much you buy into that FPI predictor machine. It has burned me quite a few times in making picks when I'm looking for a tiebreaker. And in the loss last week, Clemson showed some life, right? Clemson looked a lot better especially than they did against Duke. They looked like they've grown quite a bit. Cade Klubnick, you want to throw him to the Wolves. I know that fan base hasn't been happy with him so far, but he's still a five-star guy that has a ton of time to grow if they just give him patience. I think they get it done
1: this week. Clemson minus seven. Yeah, this is going to be the Cade Klubnick get right week. Um, I think that this is going to be a, a big win for Clemson. They need it, right? They can't lose a third game in September. That that would be unacceptable. They wouldn't be able to come back from that. And so I'm going to pick them to win this one and cover. I think it's going to be really good. A lot of the Syracuse results are going to be deceiving for me. They're sixth overall points per game, seventh in points per, points per game against. Um, but that comes against Colgate, Western Michigan, Purdue, and Army. If if you're good because you can put up those numbers against them, then I'm going to say that you know Auburn might be good, and we just got done talking about how they're not very good either. So look, you 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 beat Army by what like 13 points last week. Congrats, we're happy for you. I guess look ahead um, spot,
0: look ahead spot against an yeah, end state rival.
1: Sure, uh, <laughs> if you want to, cover that. but no, I think this is the run where Syracuse starts to get exposed a little bit. Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State coming up their next couple games. So I'm not optimistic about the orange ending up being a very good team. Um, so no, I don't think they're good. I think they're just taking advantage of a week's schedule. They're not bad. They're just not good. That's fair. So you, you're allowed to be in the middle.
0: You're allowed to be a yeah. middle of the pack team in college okay. football. All right, let's go back to the sec. Garrett, this is the most fascinating game of the week. In hindsight, I probably should have put it a, uh, a, tick up on our list here, South Carolina at number 21, Tennessee, Tennessee, 12 and a half point favorites. You can watch this one 6 30 PM on the sec network. It is Spencer Rattler hype season because he is a two time sec offensive player of the week. Other than that second half of Georgia, that was ugly. I'll give you that. He's been really good. He was 18 of 20 for 288 yards, three touchdowns last week against Mississippi state. And of course, this is a revenge game for Tennessee after getting absolutely embarrassed with their playoff hopes on the line last year in Columbia. Garrett, I'm going to call it right here. South Carolina wins this game outright. They not only cover the 12 and a half point spread, South Carolina is going to make it two in a row. They are going to sink the Vols fleeting hopes for 2023
1: in Knoxville on Saturday night. I'm calling um, it right now. South Carolina outright. I love it. I'm gonna let you have that moment. Um, I'm. <laughs> I am also with, it with keeping me. it close. I, I'm with it keeping it close. I, I'm not gonna pick them to win, but I think they're gonna put a lot of fear into the Tennessee fans. I also love the wordplay. The, the sinking, they're fleeting. Oh, yeah, that's gonna be nah, that's ah, nice wordplay. Uh, I like that. So um, no, but I I think that South Carolina does too many things well to get blown out to that degree. Um, they're not necessarily great in a lot of different ways. They've got their deficiencies, but want to highlight Xavier Leggett right now has 27 catches for 556 yards. That is a 20.6 average and three touchdowns, expecting him to kind of play well here, look really good in this spot for South Carolina. And yeah, Spencer Rattler, he's been good. He's been really, really good. He's got a 170 rating on the year, uh, 1,200 yards already on 75% almost completion. So yeah, I think he's looking pretty good. Give me the Gamecocks to keep it close. I'm going to pick them plus the 12 and a half. I think Tennessee ends up winning this one. Just kind of squeaks out a W at the last second. I don't have a lot of reasons for it. I just think that they're going to find a way to get back in front of this. They looked a lot better last week. Um, Definitely bounced back, scored a lot of points against a reeling UTSA. So, you know, I think that they're kind of going to be okay. I'm still not confident in the offense, but I, I want to see how they do against a good team. South Carolina is that test.
0: Neyland at night is also a great advantage too. Oh, yeah. So the, it'll be rocking. That's a big home field advantage. Last sec game to talk about here. Number 12, Alabama, 14 point favorites at Mississippi state going into Starkville. ESPN is doing their stupid thing that they do multiple times a year where they put a double header at 5. PM and 8. PM. When we all know that that 5. PM game will not be done yep. by 8. PM. I digress. Garrett, <laughs> Bama games are gonna be kind of hard on the eyes this year. I think we can I think that's safe to say four weeks into the season, but have we seen anything from Mississippi State this year that says that they keep it within two
1: touchdowns? They didn't do it against LSU, and I don't think they're gonna do it against Bama. I just I, I it, it's hard to say. I hate the situation going on right now in Starkville, but it, it's it's just not pretty. It's not yeah. great. Um, but they just look outmatched, they don't look like they know what they're doing. Um, I, I going into this season, I honestly thought they had a chance to knock him off because this game is at Mississippi State. But Will Rodgers just doesn't look like the same quarterback. And I think Alabama's got something to prove. I think that they're trying to prove that they're still, you know, kind of capturing that magic. I'm kind of in a wait and see. I think is still pretty mid, um, but impressive win against all miss, kind of. Um, go score a bunch of points against Mississippi State. Maybe we can start talking about Bama being among those top teams again. If if they do a normal Bama thing where they score, you know, 40 or 50 points and, you know, beat them by 30 or 40. Great. If you win this game like 21 to 10 or something like that, you're not feeling good if you're a Bama fan. No, absolutely not. And of course, Alabama and we didn't mention this with a and both have
0: a huge prove it game against each other next week in College Station. Garrett, let's close things out here with a couple more Pac-12 after dark action on the Pac-12 Network, 9 p.m. Central. Washington, 18-point favorites at Arizona. We're both on the Huskies here. I think the offense is just going to be a little bit too much, and Arizona's going to struggle to keep up. I do think Arizona will put up points. I was tempted to take the over in this one for the ledger, but I think Washington, other thing, they have let yet to knock on wood if you're a Washington better, because I'm about to give you the jinx of the century here. They have not failed to cover a spread so far this year. I don't think Vegas is quite caught up. They did push one, but you've gotten all your money at least back every time you bet Washington this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think this is one of the best offenses in the country. might be the best offense in the country right now. Um, And I think that they're really, really good. I think they're going to be a good team throughout the course of the year. Really excited to see them match up against teams like Oregon. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see kind of where that goes. Arizona, maybe not the matchup that I'm looking for here. Um, I, Arizona, look, they're building, they're trying to figure it out. It is at Arizona. I still think Washington's going to score a whole bunch of points. That'll be one that I turn on and probably have on until about you know 10 or 11 o'clock. You get the Pac-12 Network. Uh, well, I'll, I'll. You'll find, I'll find it. I'll find it.
0: <laughs> I'll find enough. the Pac-12 Network. You can plead the Fifth Amendment, brother. You don't have to incriminate yourself in front of everybody. All right. Last one here. Group group of five spotlight. South Alabama, one of the biggest enigma teams in the country. You go into Stillwater and beat the Pokes, and then you come home and lose to the chips of Central Michigan. Central Michigan still giving the Pokes secondhand embarrassment multiple (laughs) years later. They travel to one of the most underrated venues in all of college football. James Madison, three-point favorites are the Dukes, 11 a.m. ESPNU. I'm all in on the Dukes, baby. We are in the colonial American Revolution era in my U.S. history class right now. Why wouldn't I pick James Madison?
1: Hey, we love it. Uh, Yeah, I'm also going to go with James Madison on this one. I just think they're the most complete team right now at the G5 level outside of maybe Tulane? Fresno may have something to
0: say about that. Fresno's Fresno's
1: also playing well. Yeah, I forgot about Fresno. But yeah, I think they're one of the most complete G5 teams. They're definitely top three, top five for me. Um, And I think that they're going to be really, really good. I think that they could be challenging for that spot in a New Year's Six Bowl by the time that everything's said and done. Um, So yeah, I think they're going to beat South Alabama. South Alabama still plays really, really good defense. I just think they're a little bit one-dimensional on offense right now. And I think James Madison will find a way to abuse that. We agree. I'm on on the Dukes minus three. Quick, watch the ticker lines. We got a
0: triple header Thursday night as you're listening to this: Middle Tennessee at Western Kentucky, Temple at Tulsa, and Jacksonville State visiting the Bearcats of Sam Houston in the Bearcats' first home game as a member of the FBS. Very small stadium there in Huntsville. If you've never been to it, but it's going to be rocking on Thursday night. National TV chance for the Bearcats there. The other Bearcats Friday night are traveling to BYU. That is a Big 12 game, remember? nine fifteen on ESPN. Boy, there's going to be some either elated or very, very upset fan bases in the state of Utah before Saturday. They both have huge games oh, on yeah. Friday night this week. Uh, number two, Michigan, 18-point favorites at Nebraska, 2.30 on Fox. Our Sicko Special of the Week, Michigan State at Iowa over under of 36.5. Gross, and West Virginia and TCU battle at the top of the Big 12 standings because that's what everybody had after the first couple of weeks of the season. 7 p.m. on ESPN Two. Garrett, any of those tickle your fancy before we get out of
1: here? Uh, I will be tuning in for the Michigan game. I think that it's going to be a big kind of handle your business situation. Thirty nine under um, oh, gonna...
0: in that one. That kind of surprised
1: me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that people just still are kind of not expecting Michigan to put up massive points. I think that people just still kind of think about Michigan's offense the wrong way. I think Michigan needs to go in and handle their business. I think they need to cover this spread. I think they need to gain a little bit of confidence. Well, that
0: is week four, five, excuse me. I'm behind a week here as we're finishing. Hey. <laughs> it. That's week five done and dusted. The preview is done. Enjoy the games this weekend, folks. Make sure you're following us on the socials at three tech pod on Instagram and Twitter subscribed on the YouTube. YouTube.com slash at three tech pod and make sure you click the little bell because you will get notified when we go live Saturday nights as the games wrap up. It's been a ton of fun. We had a fan of the show, Joe from Longview, come on last Saturday night. That was fantastic uh, to get a fan's perspective of the big Ohio State win. Who knows? We might ask you to join if you join on the live feed. So make sure you're watching live Saturday night. If you don't want, if you can't catch it live, It'll, of course, be there for you in a podcast form on demand on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts Sunday morning. So, Garrett, without further ado, let's let the people go. Let's let them get on through the last couple days of their work week and get ready for another big college football Saturday. For Garrett Turney, for Mitch Mason, who cannot join us uh, this time, so long, everybody.
1: Gracious, how about...